You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. I'm going to be reading Psalm 9, if you want to follow along in your own Bibles or on the screens. Um, To the choir master, according to Muth Laban, a Psalm of David, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will, will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Higyon Selah. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Selah. Be seated and kids can be dismissed at this time. Good morning. My name is still Michael. So in uh, summer of 2022, I found myself kind of hanging off of the back of a of a truck, um, driving through the hillside in Guatemala. I think there might be some pictures. See that? You know, I wasn't alone. There were lots of people hanging off of the back of the truck. And uh, I was trying to have a conversation with that guy. His name's Caetano. Um, but we had not a common language to speak, Right? And, and that was kind of the mode of transportation, long story behind any of that. Any of the people that you see in that picture, you can ask them about that, great adventures, whatever. So uh, I'm hanging off of the back, Caetano's hanging off of the back, his granddaughter is hanging off of the back, and, and this isn't just like a short trip, like we're going somewhere, that's how we're getting around. And, um, 
and we're talking, and Caetano's got this beautiful smile and face or whatever, and he's saying something to me, and I don't know what he's saying, and so I'm looking at my guy Mitch, and he's like, what? What, what, is he, what, what does he say? What, what does he say? Uh, he said, and, and then he's trying to clarify, and, and what it turned out that he was saying is, Caetano's in this environment asking me, he said, uh, Mitch said, he, he, he asked, what is the worst thing that's ever happened to you in, in your entire life? <laughs> and so, <laughs> that's an interesting question, especially given kind of the, the context but here's the thing, right? It was an attempt at a connection point. But the assumption was, no matter where on earth, there are moments that are hard, right? What, what is the worst thing that's ever happened to you in your entire life? That kind of leads with the assumption that, that we have bad days. We all have good and better days and good and better seasons, but because of the state of the world fallen and stained by sin, we certainly all have those moments, those seasons that feel like the sky is falling, whatever the reason, and we all want to get through to better days without giving up and without losing hope and without losing joy for those who are in Christ. And so, uh, a few months back, we, we did a, a series called Redeeming Relationships, and one of the relationships that we talked about was enemies. And we kind of said, in the kingdom of God, our enemies are those that are against us, not that we get to be against them. And on the surface, like, like we get it. Like, like some of us have legit frenemies that you're like, it's just it's not a good relationship. Uh, people that make life frustrating, and, and some have real enemies in this life, those that actively oppose or those that seek to bring you harm. And that could be as annoying as a frustrating neighbor or as persistent as a manipulative, villainous coworker, or it could be as evil as an abuser that you cannot flee from. The bigger picture for those who are in Christ is, is we have a real enemy who works against the plans of God. It's, it's our real enemy, Satan and his band of misfits who spawn all sorts of evil and every broken thing. And it's easy for us in those seasons of life to blame others or to blame our circumstances or to blame ourselves. And it's easy to think that God has somehow fallen asleep or forgotten about us forgotten about justice, or to think that the sky is falling, but all suffering and difficulty has a root cause. And the beauty is, for us in this room, for us who behold this book as true, all suffering and difficulty has an ultimate defeat for those who find their rest in Jesus. And we see a pattern in our own lives, in the lives around us, certainly among God's people throughout his word where life is hard. Life is difficult, but, but they, God's people in his word, are reminded of what's true. And what I want us to know today is, is remembering what's ultimately true is hope, is our hope to overcome the hard things in life. And kind of the main idea is just really simple that I want us to get when life is hard, Recite the works of God. 
Look, it is the last day of the year. It's a time to reflect, look back, and the good and the bad and, and the ugly and the in-between and all those things. And it's also a time to look forward. And so my invitation to you is, is to let this sink into your head, into your heart, into your hands. When life is hard, recite the works of God. So today, we conclude our series, Give Thanks, Singing Psalms of Gratitude with Psalm 9 that Pat read. It was a beautiful psalm in a world where cinema has brought superhero fatigue, like we just can't see any more superheroes, but we must, right? Um, everyone seems to have an idea of what an ultimate Avenger looks like. Uh, it's no doubt they are defined by justice and they are all powerful, yet we also want to to, uh, we, we want our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Like, we want th- them to have all power and yet be accessible, able to, able to overthrow enemies, yet near enough to be able to carry a conversation with on the subway. That's what we want. Someone to put our hope in when all seems lost, no matter how tough our enemy is, no matter how bad our day is, we must know that our hero can defeat them. When life is hard, recite God's works. And so just a couple questions that we get to ask today is, what are the works of God? Like, what is it that I would even recite? What would I tell myself? How can I recite what I do not know? You know how? You can't. You cannot recite the works of God if you do not know the works of God. Well, how do I know the works of God? You read the works of God. You behold the works of God. And then what does it mean for us to actually recite his works, right? So today, the Lord is the greatest avenger. Two points, probably. The first one is this. He's got our back. He opposes our enemies. And I I just want to kind of summarize the high points of verses 1 through 8. So as you're reading along, you kind of see these show up starting in verse three, when our enemies turn back, they perish. When our enemies turn back, they perish. You know the picture, Uh, just as eight, you know, uh, as eight-year-old Kevin McAllister was, was, was hung on the door hook by his sweater, the man with the shovel shows up to defeat the burglarizing wet bandits, right? It's, it's at the last second it's, it's, it's the enemy is, has cornered us and we don't know what to do and they turn around and he says when they turn around, the look of horror falls on our enemy's face and they perish. He goes on, he says, uh, he delivers righteous judgment. Our God is a just judge. He rebukes the nations and he blots out the wicked. Think about, you know, and some of you, this might be offensive, but like an ant, you know, and you, and you just kind of, you know, you, you just, you blot it out. It's going, or you take it outside kindly, right? Uh, but, but it's just nothing. It's, it's a tissue and it's just nothing. He, he blots out our enemies. It, it's nothing to him. He, he, he removes the wicked. He removes even the memory of the wicked. So what it says in verse six, and this is kind of literary language, but he blots out the wicked. He obliterates even the memory that the wicked ever even existed. That's what, that's what our God does. Verses seven and eight, he is enthroned for eternal justice. 
And if there's anything we want in a hero, it's that they, that they be just. And, and the kicker is, it's not a justice by my standard or by your standard or by your neighbor's standard. It's by the standard of the one who is in his essence just and good. He is enthroned for eternal justice. See, the driving promise of the Old Testament the, the breadcrumbs that get sprinkled through every page is leading to the bread of life, but it's this enthroned justice, right? In, in Isaiah 6, we hear this all the time. We read this, I think, at our Eve Eve gathering. You hear this around Christmas time. Listen to this. Isaiah 9, verse 6, for to us a child is born, right? This is 700 plus years prior to Jesus, but it's the same truth that our God is just. For, for to us a child is born, to us a savior is given. The government will be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He's enthroned for eternal justice. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This is our God. See, in life we have difficulty. There are things that are hard and sometimes it doesn't pan out. Sometimes it doesn't seem right. And we look at things and we say, this, this can't be, this ought not be. And it seems like evil wins. And sometimes it seems like evil wins the day like every day. And one, I, I just want you to know that you can throw your hands up to the Lord. He can handle your despair. He can handle it. Talk to him about it. But it seems like evil wins, and sometimes the hero may even die. To save the world from all the devastation, he, he may even die. And, and what do we do? We leave the theater heartbroken. <laughs> And we're thinking, that, 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 that can't be the end. That's what we say. How, how is it possible the hero's dead? Or you leave this life breaking the hearts of those who you leave behind. That's the way that it goes sometimes. We interact with our own enemies and we see injustice flowing through the streets and injustice flowing through the courts and injustice flowing through the decrees of kings and the pen of parliament and the legislation of Congress and even our own hearts. And all this, enemies and injustice, they meet their end. They find their bottom on a cross built for criminals and thieves holding the hatred of humanity, blood spilled to redeem the wicked in the streets, the wickedness and the injustice in the courts, the injustice of the decree, de decrees of kings, the pen of parliament, the legislation of Congress, and even the injustice of our own hearts. And here, we see that against all of that, God has our back. He is Good. He is just. His judgments defend the righteous. He gives the wicked their just reward. And all who find rest in him are called free. In this life, there's nothing quite like someone having our back. Like that's the best feeling. That's why we say th words of comfort like this hey, I got you. We say things like, hey, I'm not going anywhere. 
right? And, and those things, no matter, you know, if your friend looks like me, like, hey, I got you. What am I going to do, right? But it means something when we say, hey, I, I got you. I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I'm in your corner. Like, I, I'm here. That, that means something. That's why from our youth on the playground, we, we throw the, my dad can beat up your dad. Because what we're trying to tell ourselves is someone has our back, and he's tougher than you, and he's tougher than whoever it is that has your back. My dad can beat up your dad. That's why all sorts of bad scenarios begin and, and maybe end with, with two in conflict, but then, then it culminates with the strength of the boys behind them settling the score. Hey, meet me at the, like all the bad stuff in this life, right? But it shows up that way. This is the beauty of the, of the lion cub whimpering to the hyenas to no avail, but, but his soft meow is overpowered by the shadow of his dad's roar. And the hyenas scurry away. He's, he's got our back. And all these stories are retelling of the song of this psalmist. And if we're honest, the cry of our own hearts longing, we want God, we want a hero, we want a truer rescuer who has our back and God is defender of his people. He delivers righteous judgment. He executes, executes perfect justice. In, in fact, we are born enemies of God. Right? And the world would tell you something different, but this book is crystal clear that we are not born uh, aligned with God. We are, we are born into sin as, as rebels against him. We are born enemies of God, and it's by his intervention to rescue us from evil outside and from evil within on his own initiative that we get to own our part. And our part is to turn from sin to turn from self and to turn to him. And when we do that, we get to lay down our rebellion. We get to lay down our pride. We get to lay down our, our sin and walk away from it. We get to walk with new hearts, following hard after him, following Jesus by the power of the Spirit and alongside all who are his. Another psalm, Psalm 27, 8, prays this. Lord, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wing. The God of the universe looks at his people as the apple of his eye. What a prayer. God, would you keep me as the apple of your eye? And would you, would you hide me in the shadow of your wings? Right? The prayer is protect me. And the, and the promise is he's got our back. What a beautiful thing. The second thing we see is, is the Lord is the greatest avenger. We have his eye. We have the Lord's eye. He notices and he cares for the afflicted. Again, I want to hit on some high points, just kind of walking through the rest of this, starting in verse 9. He is a stronghold for the oppressed in trouble, 
A stronghold is like in battle, you go there to like, to like anchor in and to be the place that, that we're not letting them breach this, this stronghold. And so he is like the, the point at, at which uh, the, the, the soldiers anchor in and they drive their feet and, and, and they're, they're not going to be overtaken. He's a stronghold for the oppressed in trouble. He, he is the anchor that we tie onto while enduring the storm. He has not forsaken those who seek him. I, I want you to know that. If you seek the Lord, he has not forsaken you. How do I know that? Because this promise is true. And then we see him in verse 11, he kind of go on, he, he sing his name. And he goes on, and, and remember, this is a psalm, it's a song. And so he's inviting uh, the hearer to join in the melody. He's telling a story, but he's doing it through singing and melody. In verse 12, he says, he avenges the blood of the afflicted. But what about the injustice? What about corruption? What about all the things? He is the greatest avenger. He avenges the blood of the afflicted. See, avenger is, is defined by, by taking vengeance into his own hands. And the problem with, with kind of your Batman types is, is that it's jaded justice. It's motivated by hurt and, and confusion, but, but not the Lord. He is perfect. No blood is spilled in vain, and ultimately it is his own precious blood that spills at a great price. He says, be gracious that I may recount praises and rejoice in salvation. the end of the year, are you looking back and you're saying, gosh, like better luck next year? Or do you look back and recount praises? And certainly we had bad days and, and maybe bad seasons and maybe like you would say, gosh, this was one year in a decade of a bad season. And what we get to do is we get to recount the praises of God and rejoice in his salvation to us, from us, for us, that we might join him in eternal life, not some future day, but even today. Verse 15 and 16, enemies get what they deserve. That's what he says. They're caught in their own net. They make traps and they get tangled up in them. It's, it's the hard truth. D don't forget him in, in subtlety through the cares of this world. Don't reject him outright pursuing any other thing. And then he says this, the needy will not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor will not perish. Like this is the rawness of a psalm that in this life the needy are often forgotten. And what he's saying is that that's not true in the way of the Lord. That's not true in the kingdom of God. The needy will not always be forgotten, but, but as we live in light of our God, we, we are motivated to know two truths. One, that we are beggars. Listen to this. On, on January 23rd, 1546, Martin Luther traveled to his hometown in Germany to arbitrate a family dispute between two brothers. Martin Luther was a 
theologian, pastor, other things. Through his mediation, the two reconciled. However, Luther, 62 years old and weary of the many demands of his life, he fell ill. Knowing the end was near, he wrote his last will and testament and began with the words, I am well known in heaven, on earth, and in hell. Just stop there for a second. Like, you're on your deathbed. Hmm. Well, we know that I'm well known on heaven, in heaven and on earth and in hell. Is that true of you? Wild. He goes on. A true statement of the result of his bold stance throughout his life. In his last moments, Luther was asked by his friend Justice Jonas. It's the greatest name ever. Probably Justus. Justus Jonas. Don't call him JJ. It's too good of a name. Um, he said this, Do you want to die standing firm on Christ in the doctrine you have taught? And he answered emphatically, Yes. We are beggars. This is true. Look, in 500 years, nobody's going to be reading any words that I ever spoke. This dude's kind of a big deal. And at the very end of his life, the last thing he said is, we, we are beggars. This is true. And when we realize that, we can engage the needy as not forgotten. We can engage the poor as, as worth giving hope that they won't perish. When we are beggars, we can, we can live giving hope to all. That's the invitation that, that he invites us into. Needy, not always forgotten, hope of the poor won't perish. We have to understand that that is us. That is who we are. We are all beggars. This is true. And then the last two verses, the psalmist just encourages the Lord, just get him, Lord. Like basically just says, just get him. Just get my enemies. Just, would you just go get him? Like at, at best, our contribution to the battle against our enemies is, is the role of cheerleader for the Lord. Lord, you got this. You can do it. And so whether it's, it's God in the Old Testament who related to his people somewhat differently, if you read through the pages of the Old Testament, he, he related through the temple and through, through clouds in the sky and through fire in the sky and through miracles and through uh, Christophanies where, where the angel of the Lord would, would show up and then he would disappear. He, he showed up in a, a flaming bush as I am or in a fiery furnace or a lion's den protecting his own in impossible ways. Whether it's the God of the Old Testament or the same God in the New Testament who, who took on flesh in the person of Jesus, incarnating himself as the person of Christ and, and who sent the Spirit through miracles and, and reviving the dead and healing the sick and cheating death and, and fleeing sin and rejecting Satan and, and casting demons and earthquakes to free his disciples from prison and sending the church in miraculous and in the most ordinary ways, whether it was the God of the Old Testament or the same God in the New Testament, God is full of compassion full of it. And when we read this psalm, we see a window into his heart that he cares about injustice more than the little blip on the radar that, that our world suddenly cares about things that are, are right and wrong and good and bad. He's always 
cared about those things. He is full of empathy. He is a great high priest who has sympathized with his people by, by becoming one of us, by dwelling among us, living with us, dying for us. Christ has sat in living rooms with death and he has shed tears. That's our God has done that. He's been betrayed by friends. He's been abandoned by his followers, his disciples. He was beaten to death by earthly rulers who had not an ounce of his power. He was rejected by his father, not because he has a bad dad, but because he took on our stuff, our sin. That's what he did for us. The hero did die, and his disciples did scatter in tears and, and filled with pain and confusion about whether they'd been duped, if he was indeed the hero, was he the one, was he the long-awaited Messiah, and certainly they, they lived a long weekend of uncertainty, but he didn't stay dead. He crushed death, just as promised from the beginning, Today we feel death's sting, but in time we will cry, oh death, where is your sting? And just as the resurrection of Jesus proved his power in his own body, he has laid breadcrumbs of hope that, that, that he too might raise me and all who face death's Sting And the power of this life-giving pulse is that Christ is enough, that he is sufficient to bridge the gap of life and death from sin and suffering to righteousness and rejoicing. And, and when you suffer, here's the thing. He knows. He sees. He hears. It's the beauty of the Psalms that we get to see interaction. We get to say, Lord, where are you? How long must I wait, O oh Lord? Do you hear my cry? And we see time and time again that, that he does. He isn't blind. He isn't deaf. He isn't far away. He isn't on vacation. He isn't taking time off. You're not too much for him. It's not, well, I don't pray because there are a lot of people. This isn't Bruce Almighty. He can handle you. His heart breaks because of sin. And that's why he warned Adam in the garden not to rebel against him. His heart breaks because of sin, which is why he, he guardrailed laws that break relationship in community with his people in, in the old covenant. But his plans are bigger, his ways are higher, his judgments are final, his justice will be swift and for all who are his by faith, your dad can beat up any other. That's what this psalm is telling us. And for all who find refuge in any other, you will meet your end worshiping anything less than the one true God. The Lord is the greatest avenger. We have his eye. He notices and he cares for the afflicted. And in all of these things and, and many more, 
are worked out and, and teased out, stretched out in the story of God and his people in this book. And what we learn is that we have a God-breathed beginning. And we have a man-centered departure from good. Say, what is my role in all this? Our role is that we rebelled against God. But a beggar. But we have a God-initiated rescue by Christ who, who satisfied the law of God and absorbed the wrath of God in full, not for himself, but for all who turn to him. We have an in-between where Christ's work is, is finished on the cross, his power demonstrated in his resurrection, yet the fulfillment of all things have yet to come. We have a future promised and sure that when he returns again, all the tears, all the sorrow, all the brokenness, all broken things, all abuse, all injustice, all dissatisfaction, all false worship, all of your entanglement in sin, the things that, that just pull you away from him, all of that will be gone, burned, and bound. We have a future that began on a cross and is realized now for the faithful, where we will be free to be with our God as his people, with his people for all time. So, so what? Tell me something that I didn't already know. What does that change for us? Well, I, I think it changes this. When life is hard, recite the works of God. How can I write, recite what I do not know? You, you can't. See, in third grade, I had this awesome opportunity that if I memorized this thing, it was the preamble to the Constitution of the United States. Didn't know what a preamble was. Still not really sure. I think it's at the beginning, right? Didn't know what any of the words meant, but this is what Mrs. Shipley told me. She said, if you do this, you get this copy. Third grade me, what a nerd. A copy of the Declaration of Independence. Little tiny foldable thing. And you know what I said? I said, I want that. <laughs> so here's what I did. I remember like, oh, studying, like, you know, I, I'm staying in from recess. <laughs> and I remember walking up like, I think I'm ready. And I went up to her desk and I said, Mrs. Shipley, I think I'm ready. She said, okay. You know what I said? I said, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote general welfare and secure the blessings of uh, ourselves and our posterity do ordain establish the Constitution of the United States of America. That's what I said. I'll be here all week. <laughs> Third grade, don't know what any of those words mean to this day. Not super helpful. Maybe a Jeopardy question, but probably not. That's useless. But studying to recite the truths of God is anything but useless. Look, and if, if third grade me can memorize a bunch of words that don't mean anything to me, gosh, I know, I know that you can't. I know the Bible's tough and I just can't, stop, just stop. I get it, I'm with you. 
Now, I'm not asking you to memorize the thing. I'm asking you to make it part of your life. That's what my invitation today. Look, look at this. Psalm 119. L- listen to this. This is like stuff you put like, on your dorm room wall. You ready? How can a young man keep his way pure? Isn't that what we want? Like, how, how can I continue on being faithful? How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts, your your authoritative rule and teachings, and I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. How can I live a life that's faithful and pure? Do that. Don't forget God's word. It... it, uh, One said this, it would be difficult to overstate the importance of the word remember in God's word. Remember is used 352 times in scripture. When its variants are counted, the number jumps to more than 550. The root of remember is to keep in mind or to be mindful. Right? Over 500 times God's word calls us to what? Remember his word. And so, how do I do that? Well, I'll throw a couple points up on the screen. Uh, the first one is this. You decide to. D- decide to. <laughs> like right now. What if you said, you know what? That's what I'm going to... It's December 31st. I'm going to decide to let God's word guide me. It doesn't matter what you do. If you don't start there, you, you won't be able to do it. You must, in, in, in your heart, you will fail. I promise you will fail. Day seven of your reading plan, I know you're sunk, but you get to open it back up on day eight because it doesn't matter, right? It, 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 it doesn't matter. You're not a slave to a, a reading plan. You're, you're a slave to righteousness, and that means that you get to delight in the word of God. It's not, it's not this today, right now. It's not, I'm going to read more. No, no you're not. Because you will argue with yourself about what more is. You'll say, well, I didn't read any last year, so if I read literally one word. Don't say, I'm going to read more, but when and where and what. Decide right now. Write it. When and where and what are you going to read? Not, I think I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to prioritize. No, you're not. You're fooling yourself. When, where, what. I mean, I finished... This morning, on my way here, I'd never done this before. Listen to the entire Bible in one year. I told you last year, probably on this day, hey, I'm listening to the McShane ESV podcasts, four chapters or whatever a day. And you know what? On the way here to gathering, I, I finished it. I did that. And sometimes, you know what? I, I got as much as five days behind. I listened at times to God's word at 1.8 speed. <laughs> Look, I'm not telling you that I'm sitting there thoughtful meditation for an hour and a half before I leave the house. 
I'm telling you that in the last 365 days, I heard the entire word of God. That's what I'm telling you, right? That, is that, no, that's pathetic. I've never done that before, like that. I listened to it. What I'm saying is that, that that's one thing. Rake the word of God. Hear the word of God, right? Uh, you will do a thousand things this year, and some will have eternal weight, and, and most of them will not. I, I, one pastor said it, it's social media and uh, Netflix, whatever, that will be used to prove that it wasn't lack of time that you didn't devote yourself to the word. I mean, like, and I'm not that guy, but like, for real. Like, I get it. You're super busy. But, but just look at your app usage on your phone, and you'll realize maybe you're not as busy as you thought that you were. Secondly, plan to, right? Uh, I wish I could talk about this for hours. I can't. Plan to let God's word be in your heart. Find your rhythm. Prioritize church gathering. It's a huge part. Not insignificant, right? Not insignificant. Prioritize gathering in a community group. Not insignificant. Prioritizing, open the book. Open your mind. Open your heart. If you're passionate about stuff, you follow people on the socials. Follow people who love Jesus rightly, right? If you don't know what that looks like, talk to me. Talk to uh, a, a friend, someone that follows Jesus and cares about what's true. Gosh, follow some of those people so that it's passive stuff. As you're swiping, you might hear something actually that builds you up, right? Plan to do that passively, but do it actively. When, where, what. And thirdly, be transformed by God's word. Like, I'm not asking you to do Bible study drills. Like, okay, if you do that, catechize your kids or whatever, that's fine. It's not about this if it never shows up in the way that you live your life, right? One says, believe, belong, behave. And like, that could be bad, but like, okay, like, I get it. Uh, we as a culture, we, we downplay the living part and we elevate the, the knowing part, but, but knowing only serves us if it transforms us. It would be like, like writing a letter uh, in invisible ink and ex expecting it to change the world, but no one can read it. And so that's what we do when we have head knowledge and, and it doesn't change the way that we live, right? Let it change the way that you live. Oh, jeez. Assess and reflect on your life. Find where your heart wanders and let God's word and spirit redirect you back, right? Some of you, some of you need to hear all of God's word this year. Just hear it. Maybe you've never done that, right? Some of you need to, to sit and open it up and say, what is even in here? I, I'm, I'm staking my life on this and I don't even know what's in the book. And some of you need to wrestle with tough truths. And you might say, you know what, this, this theological area, it, I, I don't know how to live it out. I don't know how to apply it. I don't know what it means for our culture, right? And, and so some of you need to like say, man, I'm, I'm not, maybe you're not reading the Bible in a year, but, but you're settling in and you're going to sort through some core foundational truths that you need to figure out, right? That's okay. And look, you're not on your own. We want to do this together, right? All of us need to build healthy habits, praying, reading, processing, and living changed. That's my point. I want you to process and figure that out. Uh, on the Connect Desk, I 
printed out some copies of like a, uh, every chapter of the Bible. If you read four chapters a day, you would get through it in a year. If you read two chapters a day, I'm guessing you would get through it in two years. That's okay. But it's like every chapter you can cross off or whatever that might be fun for you if you want to grab that. The way that this psalm starts is like this. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds and I will be glad and exult. That's, that's triumphant joy in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Look, I don't know what the worst thing that's ever happened to you in your entire life is. But, but I do know that whenever life is hard, today, tomorrow, or, or the next, man, our anchor and our hope is to remember what's true, to recite God's word first in our heart and then maybe even out loud to those around us. The band can come on up. When life is hard, recite the works of God and let that lead us to give thanks in all that we do today, tomorrow, and forever because our God is the greatest avenger. (sighs) Got it figured out? Sweet, pray with me. God, thanks so much for your goodness and your grace. Um, that we get to respond, we get to pray with others, we get to take communion for those who are, are in you today. Uh, God, let us sit, think, reflect, consider. Let us plan. Let us not be discouraged, not beat ourselves up or anything like that. But let us be just empowered to trust you that you have our back, that we have your eye. And if those things are true, we get to remember those on our best days and our worst days, would you let us store your word in our heart that we might not sin against you for our joy and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.